0: I'm Representative Liz Olson.
1: I'm Representative Jamie Long.
0: And we're the co-hosts of the Minnesota Values Podcast.
1: Every week, Liz and I bring you real stories from real Minnesotans about the values that inspire action at our state capitol and in our communities.
0: Listen anywhere podcasts are available.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Minnesota Values Podcast. This is Representative Jamie Long
0: and Representative Liz Olson.
1: And we are honored to be joined by our majority leader, Representative Ryan Winkler, today. We're in week five. Of session so it's flying by
0: yeah we are really far along we passed big bills off the house floor last week we did paid family and medical leave after big debate and we're now into the next stretch which we're getting close to deadline weeks which committees are getting busy too so we're glad to have you here as the majority leader to give us kind of the thousand-foot level view of what's been going on in session how that's really tied to the work of the Minnesota values plan and what we've put forward and where we're at at this point in session
2: well, the job of the Minnesota House DFL is to address the big challenges facing Minnesota and Minnesotans from all walks of life and all different parts of the state. So when we look at an economy that is creating haves and have-nots, a health care system that is depriving people of affordable access, education with huge opportunity gaps based on race and income we know that we have a lot of work to do and so we look at this session as part of a longer term big picture approach to the big challenges facing minnesota and we're trying to make as much progress as we can this year The challenge we face is that as many great bills as we pass, as many great uh, goals that we have through the Minnesota Values Project that we might have, we face a Senate that is uh, run by Republicans who are not on board with that agenda. So we're trying to get as much done that we can this year and keep reminding people of the kind of Minnesota we're trying to create in the long run.
1: So we've taken up three of our top ten bills uh, since we went into session. The eight and nine are are, uh, gun violence prevention bills and paid family medical leave last week. How big a deal is it that those bills have all passed as standalone bills now and that we're we're putting them back uh, into the Senate and keeping them on the agenda this year?
2: Well, our goal is to be clear with Minnesotans about what happens if they elect DFLers to run the state House, the state Senate, and a DFL governor. We believe that families need access to paid uh, family leave, whether it's because they have a new child in the house or they have a sick family member or they are sick. And we want to make sure Minnesotans are able to stay home from work, which is why we will pursue a Earn Sick and Safe Time bill uh, that's coming up. It's important that we recognize that the economy is creating demands on family time that is making it difficult to care for people like we did in the past and we have to create new ways of doing that. And we also know that gun violence prevention, community safety, uh, and making sure that people are, feel secure in their communities is vitally important. And again, that's an issue where we've taken a lead. We want to uh, see these policies through. We think that we can get them done. And we want to offer Minnesotans a clear choice, not just this session, but in the next election and in the next legislative sessions after that, about what we stand for and what we offer and what we will get done if we have the chance to do it.
0: And it's hard not to think about some of what we're we did the paid family and medical leave we're gonna do earn sick and safe time as a standalone. And given what's going on with COVID nineteen, it's hard not to draw some connections as we're hearing what's going on throughout the nation and Seattle and in other cities that are dealing with this and really drawing the conclusion between some of these benefits and uh, what people need to do to protect themselves and others. So if you could just share a little bit about how how the house and how house leadership is thinking about the importance of earn sick and safe time in a time like this with what's going on in our state.
2: Sure, with COVID-19, we really see what, uh, the way in which it, things like paid family medical leave or earn sick and safe time, which obviously benefit workers, they benefit individuals who receive those things as a result of the change of law that they wouldn't be getting already. Uh, it obviously helps those people. But what we see with COVID-19 is that it also helps everyone else. Uh, In the case of a pandemic, you want to make sure that the people who are preparing your food or cleaning your buildings are not coming to work sick. People's ability to uh, stay home and stay uh, socially isolated if necessary because of a disease outbreak or to adhere to the terms of some kind of quarantine, they can't do it if they are going to be Uh, you know going without food or they're going to fall behind on their mortgage or their rent so we need to make sure that they have access to these kinds of things not just for themselves but for all of us and that's true economically the more people who are attached to the workforce and can take time off when they need it and come back the better off our economy is going to be
0: and regarding that, I mean, we are pushing forward in the House side knowing that the Republican Senate, we're not gonna get there, right? But I think it's still important to, to share that. But, you know, we are really at a time that we're talking about our supplemental budget. We're talking about how we're going to spend a little bit of money, perhaps, uh, this session. And one of the things we are doing in the House is really working on the COVID-19 and putting forward some responses to that. So can you share a little bit, I know this is top of mind for people, a little out of our MVP lens, but still really a part of taking care of our state and the health and well-being. So what's moving in the House right now around um, some response to COVID-19?
2: First of all, Minnesotans should be very confident that their Department of Health is on top of this. Uh, The department knows this issue. Minnesota has a great reputation uh, in the public health realm. So this is an issue that they deal with every year with influenza. It's something that they have been prepared for for a long time. And when they make recommendations, to the legislature for additional funding. It's based on specific needs they have, not just a blank check. So this week in the Minnesota House in fact today's Monday we will be taking up emergency legislation coming over from the Minnesota Senate that will provide 21 million dollars to the Department of Health to provide uh, equipment for individuals dealing with you know masks and gowns and so forth for healthcare professionals that will go out to local departments of health It will go out to healthcare providers and will provide additional funds for testing and other kinds of public responses it's highly likely that this uh, disease is going to affect Minnesota uh, with increasing uh, seriousness in the coming weeks. Uh, We don't know, of course, to the extent of that, but we do know that having our local public health authorities, state public health department, and health care providers prepared and ready is essential. And so we are ready to take action immediately, and we should have that bill to the governor's desk
1: in one day with the cooperation of Republicans and Democrats. That's great. So zooming out a little bit on the the supplemental budget, uh, can you talk a little bit about where we're at with um, what the supplemental budget process looks like? And then what are some of the priorities that we're trying to signal for Minnesotans about where the House wants to invest? Well,
2: we create a two-year budget, which is what we did last year. So every two years we create a budget for uh, the following two years. We update that the second year of the budget based on updated economic projections. So when people talk about a deficit or a surplus, what they're talking about is an updated projection of how the economy is performing and how state finances are collecting revenue and spending money. As it stands today we anticipate having a bit more money than we did a year ago when we created the budget that estimated change however is before we fully factored in covid 19 and we don't really know what economic impact ultimately that will have we can't just rely on stock market fluctuations there's much more to it than uh, what we see in the news on a daily basis so we have to be careful that uh, we are looking ahead at funds that will actually be coming in. It's not money just sitting in the bank. It's a projection of what we think will happen. So we have to be careful about spending that money. That said, we do anticipate that we will finish this budget cycle with additional money. And so we are looking at some key priority areas where that additional money can make a difference right now. Things like early childhood education and childcare. We have this dual crisis of childcare being unavailable and we have a huge opportunity gap in education and we know that putting money into early learning for kids who start behind is the best possible thing that we can do to get them caught up so as we look at what's happening with kids who are you know zero one two or three years old now we know that helping them get a better start in life will be something that we all benefit from a long, for a long time so while we have to be cautious about what we do with this second year budget we do know that certain investments are likely to be the best places we can put money into it, and that's why we will be uh, pursuing House File One.
1: And we made early childhood House File One for a reason, right? To lift that up as our one of our top priorities. On Friday, a number of us uh, attended a all-day forum on uh, the huge opportunity gaps that we're seeing in the education system. So, early childhood is something that we we are really trying to help Minnesotans. Understand is something that we see as a need and we're hearing from them about
2: yeah We call it house file one or the great start bill Uh, We want to make sure that all kids regardless of their family's economic circumstances and certainly regardless of their Immigration status or their racial background that they have an opportunity to reach their full potential Uh, Obviously there is a moral imperative in making sure that every child has an opportunity to reach their full potential and and don't start life as a two-year-old so far behind that they can never catch up. That's just completely unacceptable for us to do as a society So we care about that tremendously. We also know that without uh, Addressing those huge differences in opportunity early on we are really limiting our future workforce We're limiting the quality of life in minnesota because we are diversifying rapidly as a state and uh, As kids of color and poor uh, kids are coming up through the education system we have to find a way for them to be successful because that's what the future workforce looks like. If we continue down a path of having kids of color not reaching grade level in reading and math, uh, or, and we see this real strong correlation with uh, kids raised in poverty, which is increasing, you know, we're just not going to be a successful state like we've come to expect ourselves to be and it's an issue that affects all of us it's in our own self-interest and it's something that
1: is absolutely uh, just a moral imperative to address And i thought one of the speakers we had on friday at the opportunity gap summit put it really well when he said if you had to design the system over would you start at five right we, we've the research has gotten better the um, information we know about how early these gaps start is so much better now than it was when we designed the school system around kindergarten so it seems like these are really important investments to be making. Well,
2: it's also important to recognize that we, you know, we all talk about that our society is divided. One of the big divides that we live with is economic. As money uh, has flowed more and more to people at the top, and fewer and fewer families are able to provide quality early experiences, quality health care, They live in trauma. There's a tremendous increase in social anxiety and other kinds of disorders going on with kids. We're seeing the real life human consequences of a society divided economically. And so we can't afford to continue that. We actually have to start looking uh, proactively at how to address that divide and start to invest early in our kids. I mean, there's a whole range of things we have to do to take on these divides, but we can't have a society that is so separated by income and race it just won't work for us
0: absolutely and also thinking about the greater minnesota piece of this too i mean when we're talking about house file one and the child care we didn't even kind of touch on that but uh, the child care assistance the reimbursement rates in greater minnesota for providers is just at a terrible level and people aren't able to provide the level of care that we need that's quality and close to people and so this house file one also has you know investments in childcare as well, which is an important part of tying this all together. And it's hard not to see how all of this, if you have paid family and medical leave, earn sake and save time, you have childcare, you have access to quality education that brings everybody together. I mean, imagine how healthy and resilient Minnesota would be if every single one of our house policies or budget items got enacted. I mean, that's a pretty exciting place and what we're really trying to get to. And so with that in mind, what do you see in store moving forward from where we are right now?
2: Uh, As I said at the beginning, we have a long-term plan that addresses a lot of these issues. We know that it will take time to get there, and we know that we face opposition from uh, certainly the Republican Party and certain elements of the business community to some some of these issues. But that's the whole point. Uh, We have to take action together collectively through the democratic process to address these things because nobody else has enough of an incentive to take on paid family and medical leave uh, if you're an employer because you're just one employer. If everybody has it, then everybody is paying in, everybody can benefit. But it's a failure of individual incentives and individual action that leads us to the point of needing to take action together. And that's the great thing about it. We see... Elections turning uh, more towards addressing people's sense of frustration and resentment about the Society and the economy not providing them the things they need to be successful and and seeing these divides worsen makes people unsettled The electoral process the democratic process is how we put a check on that and start to actually take action So we see this as a long-term commitment to basic family economic security is driven by in part just cultural and economic changes. Parents work now. Well, if mom and dad are both working, or mom is working and dad is working and families are living separately, then we have to have the structure in place that allows them to be supported and successfully care for their family members and raise the next generation to be ready to succeed and reach their full potential. That's the role of of state government, is to make that possible.
0: I think that's why we're all here. Uh, That's at least why the three of us are here. Uh, Can't speak for everyone. (laughs) What's going on for the next, you know, till the end of session, till the end of May, what can we expect?
2: Well, we have a legislative uh, process and a rhythm that kind of continues on regardless. So we have deadlines for committees to get their work done and move bills through. We will be setting uh, budget targets for committees, so basically telling them how much they're allowed to, to spend. And we will be passing bills through the House of Representatives Uh, in the next month uh, to month-and-a-half and and then we will be seeing uh, at the same time what the Senate is going to decide to do with its budget bills and its other bills. Then we will line them all up and as best we can bring the session to an orderly conclusion through compromise. That's about the best case scenario. Um, We obviously have to work with the governor as well. So uh, we're going to be following our standard process, uh, but we're, one thing we're di- doing differently this year is that we are not going to create one massive uh, omnibus budget bill like we've seen in the past. We're going to do it in smaller pieces and hope that we can chew those up
1: a little bit better than we otherwise could. So you've taken a real leadership role on adult-use cannabis and driving that conversation forward in the state. Can you tell us a little bit about why this is an issue that you've devoted so much time to and what you, um, where you think we need to go as a state?
2: we have a an approach to cannabis which doesn't work we've used the criminal justice system for years in order to prohibit the manufacture growth sale distribution of a product that a lot of people can use safely cannabis does cause some harms and it definitely should not be something commonly used by kids uh, and people with certain psychological conditions and it shouldn't be overused Uh, but of course we all know that that's happening today so what we're trying to do is shift from an ineffective, harmful approach to cannabis regulation to one that can work by through legalization, taxation, and regulation. And one of the big advantages of shifting is that we eliminate the huge racial disparities in the criminal justice system. Uh, we can't eliminate racial disparities in the criminal justice system, but the racial disparities that arise in the criminal justice system don't have to apply to cannabis users, which is the largest uh, group of people affected by our criminal justice system. So we can make significant reform possible by shifting that uh, approach to a regulatory approach, allow adults to responsibly use a product that is safer than alcohol and tobacco, and uh, allow some people to get the health benefits that they claim that they get from it. So I think an overall approach can make our society more fair and can allow us to have a more rational approach to a product that a lot of people can use responsibly.
1: That's great, and I I think Senator Cory Booker put it well when he was running for president and said essentially white Americans' uh, cannabis use is legal right now, effectively, and for people of color, it's not. And I think we've we've seen that play out in in Minneapolis. The statistics that ACLU put out are uh, if you know white and black use of marijuana is essentially equivalent but black people are 11 times more likely to be arrested than white people. So we're seeing these huge disparities in terms of the consequences, and we know that that, that follows people throughout their entire lives. As, as your bill trying to help get at some of the, the those issues in particular?
2: Yeah, we will be expunging the records of anybody with a misdemeanor or petty misdemeanor, which will be 50,000 people automatically have their records expunged. We'll provide resources for business development and growth for uh Communities uh, disproportionately affected by the war on drugs and we're taking a number of other approaches that will help eliminate some of the racial uh, Disparity and leg- racial disparity legacy that cannabis has been uh, doing But it's, I just also important to note people have legitimate public health concerns about cannabis and We can also in addition to addressing the racial disparities issue We can also do a much better job of keeping it out of the hands of kids with a different approach
0: uh, well, we're coming to the end of our podcast, and in our 20 short minutes, I, is there anything we didn't ask you? I think we've covered <laughs> a lot of ground. Usually we have one topic, but because we had the majority leader on, we went for it all. But <laughs> anything else to to wrap up here?
2: Well, the only thing I would add is that the other major piece of work this session is a capital investment bill, which will fund clean water, higher education, education, uh, transportation at the local level, all sorts of community projects that will improve people's lives and set us up for long-term economic success. And it'll also provide some significant environmental protection. So that's another part of our work that we will be focused on this year, and it is probably the signature accomplishment that we will have this session.
0: Absolutely. So uh, we still have a lot of work left to do, but we're really glad you could come and join us at the midpoint. And so thanks for being here, Ryan.
2: Thanks